So I ended the last episode. I thought it was pretty good, but I forgot some other things I wanted to bring up. Um, and I really should write these things down because I get so pumped up. And then as soon as I hit the record button, it's like a going completely blank. Anyhow, um, I'm sure I'll circle back. But I know one of the things I wanted to bring up was I was at the library with my children and... You know, before we, you know, essentially stopped sleeping in the house because of the mold, I would read to my daughters. And one of the books, I love how books will just stand out to me when I go to the library. It's like this magical place and then things kind of have a random way of finding you. This happened several years ago with one of my favorite books called The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. He is a Toltec master. Anyhow, the book at the library had this big giant X on the front cover and when I walked by it, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be about, but okay. And I read it and it was such a profound book. Now there's, you know, YouTube videos of someone reading it. It is worth reading. Um, this is probably one of my top, top books that I will always return back to because it just has so much to encompass about life and how he explains things. Um, I don't want to give it away, but I was just, it was profound. Like, um, he starts the book by talking about what happens after we're born we are all infected with what he calls a parasite. And as we go through life dealing with things, you know, people affect and make this parasite bigger to the point where, you know, our skin becomes open wounds and when people touch us, they're touching that wound and it hurts. So we don't want people to touch us. Now, try to use that in different areas of your life as I have. Um, but there is an amazing chapter called The Magical Kitchen. And you should read it. It's an amazing book. Um, I really love that chapter in the book, The Magical Kitchen. Um, but the book that I had found with my children 
maybe a year and a half ago, two years. It was right around the time that I started having a lot of tumors pop up on the surface of my skin. Um, I have... I have some inside on my organs um, and I've had a surgery to remove the ones that were problematic and I will never forget the look on my daughter's faces. They were so scared. <laughs> um, so every time another one pops up that's that's all they think about is, you know, is this going to be the last time we see her? And I have to just console them and let them know that it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, anyhow, I had picked up this book and instead of reading it to them, like I just continued reading it and it was, it it's by, um, I always say her, her last name incorrectly, but uh, Katie Dickmilio, Dick, um, Dick, I don't have it right in front of me, but I can see it in my head. She wrote The Adventures of Edward Tulane. Um, there was a mouse one. Um, Anyway, this book is called The Beatrice Prophecy. It's about a little girl. And by the time I got to the end of the book, I closed it and I was just like, holy shit, this kind of reminds me of the never-ending story. You know, when you watch that movie, and it's probably a good, maybe I should read the actual book, um, see what else I get from but in the never-ending story, what is the story about? It's about the little boy who's reading it. He's actually in control of the story. So the Beatrice Prophecy, phenomenal book. Um, and it's a children's book. So when I read it, um, I explained it to my children in a different way, like what I perceived from it. And then I asked him, I said, do you think it's a little strange that all of these storybooks always have a little girl as the main character taking on these stories? And they laughed at me and they're like, you've had this thought before. And they're like, it is a pretty cool detail. Like Alice in Wonderland, um, The Wizard of Oz. You know, Frank L. Baum, he wrote, there's like 16 other books to The Wizard of Oz. And it's the adventures of this little girl. What else was there? You know, it came out that, um, in Weenie the Pooh, like, that was written by a veteran, a war veteran, and the characters all are emotions that he felt 
and he hoped that his son would understand one day what he couldn't explain to him to understand. Um, yeah, like we are all the heroes or heroines of our story. No one is coming to save us. <laughs> we have to save ourselves. And, you know, while I used to get stuck, I, you know, if, if one person's listening and it gives them encouragement to, to just make the little change to see if it makes a difference, like, that's enough. I don't want my children living in fear um, that I'm going to get sick. So it seems like every time I do have a surgery, I go through a reset. Like I will forget. And I essentially have to start all over again. So I'm not having any more surgeries until I get this situation taken care of. And it's a double-edged sword. Because the frequency of these tumor masses, they've started coming way faster than they should have. Um along with like my legs and my hands seizing to the point where I can't straighten them out and it's quite painful. Um, a lot of these, you know, attacks would be, it would wake me out of my sleep and my children wouldn't be here. And I would kind of freak out, like, if something were to happen, like, how how would I get downstairs and drive myself to the emergency room? Um, and when I was packing up my room, I realized there's mold in, like, one of my favorite rooms, which was <laughs> I cut out a section of the attic and made like an extra room and I called it the shoe room. Um, and it's where I would have my shoes. Um, not that I have like a ridiculous collection of shoes, not anymore. Turns out, you know, when I got pregnant with my daughters, my foot grew and Little by little, as painful as it was, like, I had to get rid of my shoes. So I had to restart, which is fine. <laughs> um, there's just some shoes that I just can't part with, like the pair of wedge heels that I wore when I climbed 
all the stairs of the Eiffel Tower. Um, I actually have the the number written down because I remember counting. And I also remember wearing those heels thinking like, well, this will be a fun memory. Like, and my feet hurt for the entire trip. It wasn't just um, Paris that I went to. I went to London, Barcelona. We flew through Sweden. <laughs> um, we didn't actually leave the airport, which is a little bit of a bummer, but um, we went through. The other thing I want to point out is, so I had one of these masses, like there was a bump at one point, and then the next thing I knew, this thing was growing at such a rapid rate that it hurt to sit down, and I couldn't sew. Like, it was very uncomfortable to sew, you know, so I was like, oh, well, this isn't going to work. Like, I need to sew. This is, this is how I decompress. And I've said it before, like, some people do yoga, some people meditate. Like, I sew, and it helps me. It's, it's my thing. Um, so uh, it even got to the point where... Like, I was out somewhere, and I saw a donut ring, and I was just like, well, fuck it. Like, this is going to have to do because I need to sew. And I had called the VA and um, let them know what was happening. Um, I asked for a female doctor. Um, and they're like, well, we don't have any female surgeons. And I was like, what the fuck? Come on. Um, I was like, so I'm supposed to be okay with, you know, cause it was in a very sensitive spot where this tumor had developed. Um, obviously if I needed a donut ring, it was on my rear. Um, I remember going and... That doctor was so nonchalant about it. He's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. We can take care of that. He said, we're just going to numb you up and uh, we'll just take it out. Stitch back up and, you know, we'll put dissolvable stitches so you don't have to come back. Let me explain what took place. There was a female nurse in the room. What he failed to explain was what he had to do. It was a lot bigger than he had anticipated. It was very close to, you know, my female area, we'll put it that way, and 
I had to sit there awake and hear what he was doing. Not only, you know, he he numbed me up, but I can assure you that I could still feel. And then I had to smell. Smell him carterizing the the area. Like I am I was mortified that he thought that was okay. Like and I assumed that that's just the way it's done. Fast forward to not even maybe a year or two, or maybe a year. This tumor mass develops in the same area. And the nurse had called me and assured me that they had clean margins. Everything came back. It wasn't cancer. And I'm like, all right, you know. Um, it hurt for a long time. Um, it came back. And it came back bigger. And it developed fast. Um... I asked the VA, I said, I'm not doing that again. I said, I don't care. I'm not doing that again. And I'm not coming in there because I have children. Turns out, like, I can't go to the VA if I have my children. So, all right. Well, you can do a community care for me to see someone locally. I saw an amazing surgeon who took a look, um, And when I asked him if I would have to be awake for him to remove it, like the look on his face said it all. And he looked at me, he goes, no, that, that would be cruel. Um, He goes, you, and I explained that I was awake and very much aware of smelling carterized skin and he goes no that's inhumane um and he apologized and uh yeah it's situations like this the things what we think are normal they're not normal You know, I began the other podcast with talking about, like, someone knowing where I'm being called. It's become very evident. Like, the VA system needs to be changed. Like, people need to start talking about what's happening. Like, the things taking place over a system that has the most money the most funding it's the largest healthcare organization in the world think about that i had a public speech class and i chose to do my the very last speech before i had to withdraw from school about 
veterans, their benefits. Um, and, and it was... A, the class scared the shit out of me because, you know, standing up and talking in front of a bunch of 18-year-olds, like, I don't know why at the time that was scary for me. Um, but it was. I survived. I learned so many things. But the teacher had us pass around the the topic and the students had to write their opinion of where they fell um and my topic was geared around making education easy for veterans like easier having an option for child care like understanding that we have things that happen to us that we can't control like having surgeries that would make us miss classes or having you know appointments scheduled for us 2 hours away at the time when i was in school this was very much happening through the columbia system um yeah and the you know the the 18 something year olds their view was, sure, as long as it doesn't make my tuition go up. It was very weird to read that considering they weren't paying for their tuition to begin with. Like they were on financial aid. So even something that we're all offered, they felt entitled to say, you know, this is mine. Don't, you know, I don't. Th- this is how I perceived it. So, you know, keep your pitchforks on the ground. Um, and what really got under my skin is how the school claimed that it was a veteran preferred school. And I wrote a complaint about it and I'm like who like where where do they get that from like who who says that and tells them yeah you're a veteran preferred school and when I I filed a complaint about the things that I had you know was jumping through hoops for because the the veteran affairs person at the school like he didn't know and instead of helping like he just gave me a phone number it wasn't it wasn't just that like I'm not saying you know it's this guy's fault it's not what I'm saying is like you can't put people in these positions who don't know the system because what this man ended up doing is he just closed the complaint out never talked to me about it Never addressed it. He just closed it out. Uh, I digress. Like, point I'm making is things could be better. A lot better considering the funding. Like, We're at a time where veterans don't have 
family like they used to. They don't have caretakers. Like, I, I tell the VA all the time. Like, the hospital chief, I'm, I laugh about it. And I'm like, you know, she must have my name on a sticky note somewhere. Because I tell them, my children are my caretakers. And when you refuse me entry to the VA, I said, this is where I'm supposed to get my health care. And they take care of me. They have, you know, dressed my wounds. Um, my youngest has had to do things with my stitches that I, I hope have not scarred her for life. But she is such a compassionate and sweet person. Like, you know, all the sacrifices were worth making because I was pouring into them our children need us there is an amazing person and he said something to me that I I resonated with immediately. And then here recently, I've also had the thought, it's the other way around, I think. Um, you know, the comment was made that his child saved him and I believe that the girl saved me but to look and see what that's done haven't we in a way saved them as well from breaking the cycle of whatever is in our family lineage. Don't diminish that that is work. It's not even work. (laughs) That is something worth doing. Pouring into our children. They're the future generation. And for them to walk around with wounds that we have had to walk around with, like, they don't deserve that. They deserve hope. So that's what we're kind of called to do, is to give them hope, to fight. say, you know, fuck you to this big corporation for making their their mommy sick, for taking away years. Do you know how long it's been that I haven't been able to read to the girls? I had that thought the other day. 
literally, as I was walking my ass out into the cold to leave the house to go to sleep. It has had impact in ways that are overlooked. And I realized, like, I haven't picked up a book to read in a long time. Well, longer than it should be, honestly. Everything's packed. Well, for the most part. Um, I've mentioned in another podcast that I have been packing alone. And that's been good for me. In ways, I guess. Because it's it's proven that I am stronger than I thought I was. You know, the the times where I had to pick up boxes that were massive. Like, me rolling my eyes and like, oh gosh, like... Like, please, God, help me pick up this box. Like, you know, don't let me fall while I'm trying to put this way up here in the metal container. And some of these boxes are heavy. Like, not going to lie. But I have been doing this, and does it sound arrogant that I'm proud of myself? Like, if it does, oh well. Like, I'm proud of me. I am proud of who I am today. Because some other words just, just hit me. Because I did that. Nobody else. I did that. And I will do what's next. Strengthened by an invisible power. <laughs> um, protected, definitely. Um, oh, I got another thing that I had read. And I kind of laughed at it at the time. And, you know, I was going to post it on my Facebook page. But then I was like, no. (laughs) It was about what Portuguese warriors, like um, soldiers back in the day, they would have black swords. And there's a reason for it. Um, They were black steel, which makes them really strong. But also they were black because it wouldn't reflect light. So the light couldn't bounce off and alert the enemy. 
I think about that in a spiritual sense. That Portuguese soldiers would go into the darkness with their faith to fight the darkness. Um, Our heritage is so important. You know, I... I wish I had more access to our history to know but in ways I get you know small pieces of what I need to know when I get them um like another thing that blew my mind is the fact that William Shakespeare based his his works like Romeo and Juliet was based off of like something Portuguese that blew my mind I was just like what which is crazy cool fact now that I'm thinking about it like I know I have written it down somewhere Another cool thing that I came across, well, um, yesterday and the day before, I had my <laughs> my stereo blasting in the house, and I had music back from like 14, 15 years ago on a playlist, and the Cranberries came on. Um, the song was Zombie. And I don't know if you've actually looked at the lyrics to that song. But it's... I don't know, like... A while back, I fell in the rabbit hole with some research I came across. Um, You know, she was Irish. And in the song, she talks about... um, Here we go again. Um, I know this song. So um, she says 1916 or 1914 or 1916. So I looked it up and that's right around the time um, of when they were being invaded. um, And they had to rise up as a people to oppose it. Um. Don't come for me on the on the details, but it's it's very important like where we come from because that's also a part of who we are. But if we don't know <sighs> Anyway, the next detail was that is right around the time of the great um Potato famine. The plight that took out the potato crops. And that is how they lived. They were farmers. Um, they had to leave their home. And they came here. To the United States. 
And at the time, um, the Irish really wanted to be a part of this country. And if you look, there's a reason why you see a lot of Irish, um, influences on buildings and establishments like it seems like there was a mass migration like the amount of people that it killed millions so um my um ex-mother-in-law uh she's irish and she would tell me about her her grandmother, how many children she had, and how she even came over, but she couldn't bring all of her children. Um, and I got to meet, um, I even got to meet, you know, one of her aunts, sweetest lady. Okay, so the point I was getting with this is the Irish really wanted to be a part of this country, so they took up arms. And this is right around the time, if you fast forward to when the United States was at war with Mexico. The Mexican Wars. What they didn't tell you in the history books, and... This is a vital piece of history that we aren't taught because it would change how we think about things like this. Um, The Irish took up arms for the American forces and when they went into Mexico, they saw what was happening. It was over territory. And they quickly realized that what was happening was wrong. Um, So much that they, they changed sides. Like they started fighting with the Mexican people because they recognized what was happening was wrong. They couldn't be a part of it. So the Irish were actually labeled as treasonous traitors. Isn't that crazy? Um, A few years ago, on Christmas, I went and had dinner with some, some people that I was... You know, when I intend- attended this very specific church, um, you know, I was invited over and they had a a Mexican carpenter there. Um, really nice individual. What I failed to realize until after was it was no coincidence he was there. Um, you know, the conversation was great. And he ended up telling me something that just kind of blew my mind. And then the detail about, you know, the Irish 
changing sides came later. But what's interesting about the word gringo is that's what the Mexican people would say to the American soldiers. It was green go. They were telling the soldiers with the green uniforms to go. Green go. Now, imagine that shit. Like, telling someone to go, and then having that turned into a name as to what you're called. Gringo. You know, because that's slang for, for, you know, Mexicans, like gringos. Or maybe it's, I don't know. But that's where it came from. And he, he was telling me, he goes you know, the history of our family has been passed down to me. And he goes, that's something very sacred. Um, and he goes, but that's where that term came from. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, wow. Like, that's important. It should be written down. Anyway. Um... Where was I going to go next? (laughs) Um, But like these little, these little tidbits are important because it's where we come from. You know, did I think Portuguese people are like spiritual gangsters? Like, no, I hadn't thought of that until recently. Like, (laughs) um, you know, the shadow behind me must be massive. Like, I don't even know how people keep fucking with me. You should know to stop. Like, stop. Anyhow, um, time will be evident in the fight, right? I'm glad I don't have to carry a sword around. That, and I'm really glad, you know, they don't burn women or hang women and men for, you know, being supposable witches. Like, what the heck? Is faith scary? Wow. Like, that's what the Salem Witch Trials is about. Persecution. Well, a part of it. I'm not, I haven't really read everything, so I can't really speak on it. (laughs) You can't change what happened in the past. I can't change anything about my past. I have today, um, and I choose to embrace today, and be kind to myself. Be kind to yourself, and know that you're doing the best you can, and you're going to get there. Wherever there is, one step at a time. You know, to look back over the years of... You know, my knuckles hitting the floor, so angry about certain situations. I was really upset, you know. But in those moments, I was crying out. Did I stop going? No. 
was painful. And yes, I was depressed for a really long time. But it really is. Like, we get in our own way. And I don't know if I've said this in another podcast, but it's worth repeating. Like, these negative um, energies, entity, whatever they are. I know I said it, you know, that's what I was talking about the last podcast. Like, the lower the vibration we hold... It attracts that same shit to you. So imagine the veteran who's in pain and suffering. And they've isolated. And they, they're just trying to cope I can't stop it, but I can speak about it and say, you know, (laughs) you're not alone. And energy exchange is real. I don't give a shit. Who says it's not? Let me tell you it is. It is crazy what I can pick up when I'm around someone. For example, I can be standing next to someone who has back pain, very specific back pain. And I can come home and like my arm will start hurting. And I know I have to go, you know, soak in some Epsom salt because I don't like taking anything. Um, But yeah, for like months, for months, at one point, my back hurt so bad that I was just like, well, I don't know what's happening, but this is, this is horrible. Like, how can I make this feel better? Um... Yeah, and just, I don't know, the only thing I could think is being kind to that spot on the body. Um, um, like, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but like, I don't know, gently rubbing it. Um, praying to make it feel better. I don't know if it worked, but I mean... Obviously, <laughs> um, I'm only absorbing negative energy from this house at the moment. So, there's that. So, Happy New Year, right? Cheers and a non-strong drink to you. I did have some champagne with some pomegranate seeds yesterday during the day when I was sewing. It was delicious.
So here's to to change for our children.